Jackson, Chapter 4 It was an early and freezing morning when we pulled into the Jackson Bus Depot. I didn't think I'd ever seen anything that color of blue before. The terminal was a bright cobalt that looked like something from outer space. A crowd of people milled around waiting for the coach to stop. Grace sat up and began to arrange herself and told us to gather up our belongings. Grace had holed up with a friend when she got back to Beaumont. By the time Clyde brought us home, she had put the whole plan into action. She really had a knack for landing on her feet like a bird in a thunderstorm. She'd done it plenty of times. That's what I remember best, us dragging along here and there after one of her spells had landed her in hot water. Her old college friend Liz had known about an opening for a teacher where she lived in Mississippi. Her old college friend Liz had known about an opening for a teacher where she lived in Mississippi. One minute we were coming home from Christmas at Granny and Paul Luther's and the next thing you knew, we were bound for Jackson like the Johnny Cash song. Try not to forget anything, she said to us with a smile. Our new life. I checked my manuscript and made certain it was intact and I hadn't forgotten anything like my lucky pen. The driver tapped on the mic and said, Riders, we are now at the end of our journey. The bus will be returning to Houston after a two-hour rest stop. I hope your trip has been pleasant and you will enjoy your stay here in Jackson, Mississippi, home of Southern hospitality at its finest. Thank you for riding the trails of Greyhound. I wondered if he said that at every major stop in the South or just in Jackson. What did he say when they got to Houston or Memphis? I felt a little deflated when he turned off the ignition and thought to myself, new day, new town. We walked down the narrow aisle to the door and began to step down, the three of us. A family stood outside near the entrance. The mother was waving at us and had a great big smile on her face. The husband was tall and wore a Stetson hat. He wasn't what you'd call good looking, but he wasn't ugly either. He had dark brown hair and kept messing with it by running his hand down the back of his head in a nervous tick. His smile looked fake like it was window dressing for a burnt in sour attitude on life. His old Mackinac was purple from sweat and age. The two kids were soft looking and antsy. They resembled the father more than the mother who was trim and attractive in a grown-up way. She was perky with a frosted blonde hairdo and pearlescent peach color lipstick, very carefully applied. The sunlight glistened off her mouth like a makeup ad. The mom gave a kind of cheerleader jump. There they are. Hello, Grace, over here, honey. She was waving frantically and jumping up and down with excitement, even though we were only a few feet away from them. She ran toward us and grabbed Grace around the middle, squealing. She kept trying to jump up and down with her friend, but Grace remained rooted to the pavement. It's so fine to see you again, dear. And this must be little Willie. Aren't you just the sweetest little southern flower? Willie smiled, yes, ma'am. Willie never had a problem with adults fawning over her. You can call me Auntie Liz from here on in. These are my two babies, Jim Jr. and Liza. Liz yanked on the girl's arm and pulled her over toward us. Liza had black hair and the beginnings of a mustache above her scowling lip. She looked to be about my age 
and still had her baby fat. Her face was ripe with whiteheads that looked self-leached. She glared right at me for some reason. The boy, Jim Jr., was thick and surly. That was the best word for it, just plain surly. He and the dad were outfitted in father and son identical belt buckles, a coiled snake engraved atop the Confederate flag. Hello, children, Grace said. And this is Jim, but everybody calls him Big Jim. Liz gaped up at him devotedly like he was first prize at the state fair. The look was a familiar one. I had seen it many times in my life, southern women gazing up at their mate, houses like Christians called them. Big Jim sure earned his nickname. He was a head and a half taller than Liz. I instantly didn't like him. I couldn't say why, but the feeling was strong and I knew it deep down in my knower. He frightened me. Big Jim would rather have been doing anything else and let it be known. Well, let's get this show on the road. He pushed his chest out and patted his breastbones with his good-sized, meaty hands. Black hairs sprouted out from the backsides of his palms and fingers. Jim Jr. opened up the magic door. Big Jim heaved the bags toward their car, grunting loud in a show-off way. Jim Jr. grabbed the rear tailgate and swung it wide like you would a regular car door. Willie and I carried our own suitcases, and we all boarded the big black Dupree station wagon, a country squire with simulated wooden panels along the sides. It had the feel of a hearse, but family style. I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was something off about the Duprees. It gave me an unsettled feeling, but I pushed the thoughts away and figured I'd worry about it later. As we edged out onto the street, I spotted an elderly man riding on a mule. I wondered if this was a common sight in Mississippi. I'd seen farmers back home riding a horse and sometimes driving a wagon down the road in the middle of downtown traffic. It was kind of rare, but the cars would pull aside to make room and allow for them to lope on by. He wore faded overalls that had been washed so many times they were almost white. You could almost count the threads, and his mule looked as old as the big bends. That old nigger needs to get out of the road. Big Jim spit the words out like excrement. I felt sick to my stomach. I looked over at Grace, but she stared straight ahead, stone-faced. Grace's feelings for the Negro race had gotten us into hot water before with people a lot less vitriolic than Big Jim. Liza looked over at me out of the corner of her eye. It seemed like she smirked, but I couldn't be sure. Now then, sugar darling, Liz said with the whispery voice of a coquette. She had a smile like you see girls wear on parade floats. She turned around and giggled at us. Big Jim laid on the horn and Jim Jr. piped in. You ought to run him down, Daddy. He leaned up close behind Big Jim as if to try and egg him on. Big Jim gassed the engine and we screeched past the man. I was taken in by the gentleness of the old man and his mule as they plodded along leisurely down the road. They seemed indifferent, like they had no perception of the goings-on around them. That was probably for the best. We drove through the streets of Jackson viewing the buildings. It was my first time there and I thought the town was pretty as towns go. Big Jim pointed out some sites of interest as we drove past the historic-looking structures. The car had that car smell, but old, like it had been preserved in a vault. I liked it. 
It reminded me of my grandparents, Woody and Babe. They always drove great big cars that felt safe. I sunk down into the upholstery and let myself feel homesick. Big Jim pointed out the governor's mansion. That there's John Bill Williams' home. He is our proud governor, governor of the state of Mississippi. It's Italianate style. He pronounced it I-talianate. Liz Teheed. She rubbed him on his arm, which he had stretched out along the back of the car seat. Honey Dumplin', I believe that's called Greek Revival. He cut her a look that gave me a bad feeling. I could tell he wasn't one for being corrected. I had just met the man and had already picked up on it real quick. Some men placed great importance on being right, and I could tell he was one of them. Grace said, It's so lovely, look at the swing. She turned her face toward Willie and me. Grace really did have the world's most wonderful smile. British people say brilliant to describe something breathtaking. That's what her smile felt like to me in the back seat of the Dupree station wagon. Brilliant. For a second, it made me forget all the sad times and be happy for the just right now and what might be ahead. There was a sense of hope in her smile that day, and it brought a glow with it. Big Jim turned the radio dial down low. Yeah, our city is a fine place. Much to do and see. History on every corner. Governor's Mansion, that is a thing of beauty and a testament to our valor. He sounded like an opinionated tour guide. He sure thought a lot of his city and the South. That came through loud and clear during his oratory. I wanted to be polite, so I said, well, it sure is pretty. He turned around and looked right at me, but pushed his foot down harder on the gas pedal. You can bet your life I love my town. They tried to burn us down, but we remained unvanquished. Still standing. He must have realized he was speeding, so he let up on the accelerator and we were all thrown forward. Willie offered up. We have some mansions like this in Beaumont. My friend lives in one of them. Liza jumped around in her seat to look at Willie. I thought y'all didn't have any money and that's why you came here to Jackson. Liz tried to curtail her daughter. Liza, dear, don't be impolite. Big Jim interjected. Gal speaks her mind. Ain't nothing wrong with saying how you feel. Now there's old Hickory, he continued without missing a beat. We all turned our heads toward a grand iron statue of Andrew Jackson. The glorious Jackson City Hall provided the backdrop for the town's namesake. Big Jim pulled the station wagon to a halt in front of the building. He didn't bother with parallel parking either. He just stopped in the middle of the road and idled the engine. I noticed large pockmarks on the back of his neck, the afterthought of teenage acne. His must have been a severe case. No one said anything for a few minutes while the car sat there running. Willie finally broke the silence. Who's he? Liz chimed in. Honey, that's General Andrew Jackson. He was our country's president and also after whom our precious city is named. Willie lit up. I know who he is. We watched The President's Lady with Susan Hayward. Remember, Mama? He was a bigamist and she was already married to somebody else. Jim Jr. turned a hard look at Willie. You better shut that kind of talk up. There was something fearful about him. Willie must have sensed it too because she immediately dropped the subject. 
Big Jim hit the gas and we drove a few blocks past carefully manicured, yet rusty looking lawns, brown from the season. We approached another ornate building. Here's the old capital for you, Big Jim said. I wasn't sure to whom he was speaking, so I kept quiet. She's brick, lime, and copper. You'll notice her full-fledged copper dome. Liz added, the old capital is now a museum, the old capital museum. You girls will love it. They have all kinds of exhibits and antique dresses like they wore on the plantations during a simpler and more graceful time. She pursed her lips like Miss Scarlet and nodded her head up and down affirmatively in agreement with herself. She's our oldest girl, still standing. Big Jim had a knack for likening objects to the feminine. He reached for the radio dial again and turned up the music. Elvis Presley's voice filled the car's cavern. Big Jim started singing along, making up his own words. And his mama died. Little bitty baby cried and cried all night long while the mama died and his family died. The rest of us stayed quiet. I wondered if Big Jim knew what Elvis was singing about. Liz began humming along and smiling over at him. Even though he didn't know the words, he sang out loud and strong. I'll say this for him, though. He gave Elvis a run for his money on the vibrato. We pulled up in front of a large, white, two-story house, and Jim turned the ignition off. Nobody said anything for a minute as we surveyed the residence and grounds. I was taken aback by the beauty of the place. It was Monterey style, as Liz proudly informed us. I thought about Granny's sister, Aunt Eileen, and when she had bought that coat with the mink collar. She wore it every day, even in the deadly coont summer heat. Granny and I would laugh and say how they'd have to peel that coat off of her when she was stiff and dead, and even then they'd have trouble getting it off. The house was cloistered among large box elder and magnolia trees. A colonnade of river birch ran along the property line, which lent the landscape a plantation-like feel. Whipping in the wind was the Mississippi State flag. It had three stripes, red, white, and blue, with the telltale rebel saltier in the upper left-hand corner. Grace sighed out loud. My, Liz, how breathtaking. This is your home? Liz batted her eyelids. Our little old 40 acres and a mule. She pretended to be demure, but her pride broke the masquerade. I sensed that she thought of her home as an extension of herself, the essence of her very being. Big Jim said, Goddamn taxes are about to eat us alive. Liz patted him on his arm. Now then, baby doll, let's not mention about that. Today is a happy day, a wondrous event. She sat there and waited in the front seat for Big Jim to open her car door. We began unloading our suitcases and gathered together on the lawn. Liz hopped out of the car. Just wait till you see your new home. It's our pied-à-terre, southern style, of course. Follow me, y'all. She almost skipped to the little cottage behind the great house. We formed a line and made our way to our new home, unlikely sorts brought together by chance. I looked over the Dupree yard and made a little note to myself to search out a corner for myself, a place where I could write. Liz stood at the cottage door and waited for us to enter. She transferred her weight from one lizard pump to the other, impatient for us to follow. The place had been freshly painted with a coat of white. 
It smelled acrid as if it had belonged to somebody else and recalled the malodorous stench of rent houses we had lived in back home. The floors were hardwood and polished. As we walked, our footsteps echoed through the rooms like an out-of-step army. It had one bedroom and a separate living area. The kitchen featured a breakfast nook, which, which could double as a dining area. The bedroom had an attached bath. Bunk beds of compressed maple were adorned with matching ready-made quilts. Looky, girls, brand new beds just for you, Liz said. She had a way of bubbling out her words. This here is brand new furniture. Big Jim pronounced it furniture, like you do a holiday vacation. The whole establishment is outfitted with goods from our store, Porter's. Porter's furnishings and appliances. And won't you just look at the matching chest and end tables. There's a place to store you girls' books and whatnots. Liz grinned up at Big Jim. Jim and the company have been so generous. She marched back into the living area, her heels clacking across the wooden floors. Big Jim hung his thumbs inside his belt. We run the biggest furniture outlet in the county. Do a real fine business. You could tell he was proud of the accomplishment. And designed by Dupree, of course. Grace, this coral sofa is brand new just for you. Isn't it lovely? Liz caressed the fabric, her tapered nails the same color as the upholstery. It makes out into a bed with the Simmons mattress. Grace touched the couch. It's lovely. Thank you, Liz. I can't even begin to tell you how grateful we are. Liz batted her lashes. Now then, dear, that's not necessary. It really is so much grander than our old college dorm room, though. She winked at Grace like she was remembering a secret. She looked every bit the part of a queen regent surveying her domain. We are proud to extend a hand to the more needier. Big Jim put his arm around Liz and pulled her tight. Willie drug her case into the bedroom and began to unpack. The kitchen's fully stocked, but tonight y'all will be joining us in the big house to dine. I've had a viande de cerf de daube prepared to celebrate the occasion. Liz smiled grandly. Our girl has it in the crock pot cooking as we speak. You can almost smell it now. Big Jim rubbed his belly. I'm getting hungry just talking about it. I could eat a dead horse. Come on now, kids. Let's clear out of here and let these gals get to it. He slapped Liz on her rear with the flat of his hand. Liz shuffled her brood toward the door and turned back one last time. We'll get all caught up tonight. We were left standing, the three of us, in our new homestead. Life in Jackson had officially begun. Willie busied herself in our room while Grace investigated the kitchenette. I went outside. I wanted to breathe fresh air after having been cooped up on that bus. The cold breeze felt good on my face. Jackson had a different climate than Beaumont where you could wear a sleeveless dress at Christmas time. Winter was colder here. I spied an old turquoise metal glider with a trellis overhang. Someone had planted a vine, but the leaves had fallen off and left the brown stems twisting their way through the latticework. A bright floral pad covered the bench, and there were mold spots dotting the pink, orange, red, and yellow zinnia pattern. The thing stood out and looked strangely psychedelic against the otherwise deciduous landscape. 
The old glider let out a rusty moan from lack of use when I sat down. A bit of brown water seeped out from a torn spot, but I didn't care. I thought about winter at Babe's house and when she'd have me fasten pink plastic panties to the ligustrum bushes with florist wire after Thanksgiving. Even though Beaumont never got seriously cold, the plant life attempted to mimic the rest of the universe and dropped its flowers. Thinking about Woody and Babe made me sad. It hurt not getting to say goodbye when we had made our middle-of-the-night getaway. I'd seen Grace go from zero to sixty so many times I'd lost count over the years. It was astounding to witness how quickly she could recover from one of her bouts. Woody and Babe didn't approve of their daughter. They disagreed on just about everything from Grace's interactions with black people to the way she raised her children. It hurt me not to be able to tell them goodbye and keep our whereabouts a secret. Woody and Babe had always been my security, especially after the divorce. Sitting out on that glider, I smelled Todd from somebody washing. It reminded me of Woody and Babe and when we'd sit out in the garage and talk while Babe washed clothes. They'd tell stories about the Depression back when they lived in Arkansas. They had been dirt poor, but everybody was poor during the Depression. Woody had a real knack for storytelling, and my favorite was the one about the new barber. I always pictured Floyd from Andy Griffith when he had told the story. A new barber had come to their town, and the owner of the shop had fixed him up on a double date. It was a setup, and everybody in town, including my grandparents, was in on the joke. The two barbers pulled up in a Model T Ford while the two ladies, all dolled up for the evening, were standing on the sidewalk. The four exchanged how-do-you-do's when all of a sudden a pickup truck screeched up to a stop. A farmer toting a shotgun jumped out and started yelling, Sadie, I knew you were running around town on me and now I've caught you red-handed. When the farmer cocked his shotgun, the barbershop owner grabbed the new barber by the arm and yelled, let's make a run for it. The farmer fired the gun, which was loaded with blanks. The new barber, who was renting a room in town, packed up and left in the black of night, never heard from again. Now the story didn't seem as funny anymore. It took on another meaning, and I knew how that new town barber must have felt. I wondered if I would ever see Beaumont again. If anybody missed me. Did anybody back there even remember me?